Thanks, Amy. Good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. It's fun. Um, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and, and I am thrilled that y'all are with us today. And um, my iPad shut down. That's fun. Ah, let's just wing it. You want to? I'm kidding. Hopefully. Here's how I start every sermon, and I do want to go ahead and do that while this thing works itself out, is this. Um, whether you're joining us here in person or whether you're joining us online, what I hope happens today is that uh, you experience Jesus. Um, and in experiencing Jesus and engaging with him, I hope that you grow more in your faith and trust in him, particularly today. Um, because today we're going to see Jesus as God. And, and here's the deal. I know if you've been in church for a while, the idea of Jesus being God isn't new to you. And I also know that when I say Jesus is God, oftentimes it's really easy to just check the box and say, I got it. But what we're going to see today is that I think we can all see Jesus as more of God than we think he is. Um, and, and here's what I mean. Let me tell you a little bit about this series called Questions. Um, uh, the way we work through series and the way we decide what series we're going to do, uh, months before we start praying, I start praying, staff starts praying, we start thinking through, okay, what does the church need to hear? What do we need to learn? What do we need to experience together through God's word? And so um, that process started. We were deep in the beginning of Ezra and Nehemiah and that series, Rebuilders. Remember that series? Um, uh, we were in, deep in the beginning of that. And, and, and I started praying, what, what comes next? And, and as we were praying, I felt like the Lord was very clear with one word. And that's this word, Jesus that we need to see and experience Jesus. Well, here's the deal. As God often works, that was clear, but not quite simple because the whole scripture points to Jesus, right? Like, like I'm asking God, what book of the Bible do we need to do? What concept do we need to do? And, and so it, it drew me in to ask, to ask more questions because I do believe we need to see Jesus clearly, particularly in this time where everything is so divided. Right? We need to see who Jesus is because that's who we unify around, right? And so the question was how? Do we go through an Old Testament book and see Jesus in there? Do we hit one of Paul's letters and, and, and see the gospel explained out and see Jesus there? And again, the answer became, became clear, and it was the gospels. The gospel, to, 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 to focus in on, on the gospels. And, and here's the deal. I believe that Jesus does want us to, to look at the gospels to see who he is, to see his own words. Now, if, if you're new to the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament are what I'm referring to. Right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of those books are named after, each one of those letters, they were actually letters being passed around in the early church, were named after the person who wrote uh, that book, right? So Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, Mark wrote the book of Mark, so on. But here's the deal, each one of these guys wrote the book that they wrote uh, based on their own experiences and to communicate something about Jesus to the people that they were talking to. Some, some uh, authors of the Gospels wrote writing to a primarily Jewish audience and some, some were writing to a primarily a non-Jewish audience called Gentiles. And so, so, so they were writing for a specific reason. And so, so even though we want to see Jesus in the Gospels, the question was still, which one? 
Right? Because let me tell you about these Gospels. Mark, well, Matthew, the first one in the New Testament, Matthew was the tax collector, right? Like we see his story uh, unfold in the Gospels. And, and, and we see that he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so, like, he walked with Jesus and he heard Jesus teach. And, and so from him, uh, he is Jewish and he's writing to a Jewish audience. And when you read the Gospel of Matthew, what you see is that Jesus is king, right? He is a king to be followed. Mark, the next book, what's interesting about Mark, Mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples. When you see the list of disciples listed in the Gospels, Mark wasn't one of them. It's, it's believed by most people that Mark became a believer through the ministry of Peter, right? And, and, and there's some evidence, there's some thinking that maybe Mark had an encounter with Jesus when he was young, but that he became a believer through the ministry of Peter. And, and we see him in the New Testament by the name John Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas. And if you read the book of Acts, what's interesting is that Paul and Barnabas split over John Mark. Because John Mark was with them on a missionary journey. They were supposed to go one direction. They ended up going another. John Mark signed up for plan A. When plan B hit, John Mark said, I'm out. I'm going back home. And that didn't set well with Paul. Now Barnabas is an encourager. Barnabas is a cheerleader for the least common denominator all the time. And, And so Barnabas left with John Mark. And what's interesting is you see John Mark come back later to Paul's ministry. And and what's incredible is that if this Mark is that John Mark, which most people think it is, he's this great picture of that failure in life and failure in ministry doesn't count you out of ministry. It can actually be a springboard to, to increase faithfulness and a springboard to repentance. The fact that we have a gospel written by John Mark that's passed down from generation to generation through the ages shows that when you make a mistake, when you sin, if you, if you can repent of that and, 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 and continue to pursue faithfulness, your story's not over. And that's why I love the book of Mark. And I love it because it's short. That's always fun, right? But in Mark, we see Jesus as this servant, right? He's this humble servant. He's this example for us to follow. And that's, that's what the gospel of Mark is. Now, Luke wasn't one of the original 12 disciples either. He came along a little bit later, and Luke was a doctor, And what Luke did is he compiled these stories from people that that had experienced Jesus, people that had walked with Jesus, people that had seen and heard Jesus teach. And he compiled these stories together to get uh, to to write the the gospel of Luke. And and Luke wasn't a Jewish person, and he was writing to primarily non-Jewish people. And and this story reads like as if a reporter would have collected these stories. There's details in these stories. Now, granted, he was a doctor, and he's used to to dealing with details and dealing with symptoms and stuff like that. But but what's great is because he's this doctor and because he's talking to this this non-Jewish audience, you see the humanity of Jesus shine through. Like you see Jesus cry, you see Jesus weep, you see him grieve, right? And, 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 and that's part of Luke. And in and, and Luke's gospel, Jesus is the savior that we can connect with because he's been one of us. He's been human. And then we have John, and John was one of the 12 disciples, uh, he's the brother of James. They were called the sons of thunder uh, because of their ability to, to speak eloquently. And, and maybe they had deep voices. I don't know. But, but, but that's, that's who they were. And, and, and John was in this inner circle with Jesus' disciples. And in the book of John, we see that Jesus is God and he is worthy of our worship. 
Right? And so in all these Gospels, here's what you've got. They, each of them have a particular picture of Jesus, right? In Matthew, we see, we see Jesus as king. So Matthew, he's king. Mark, he's a servant. Luke, he's human. And John, he is God. When I put this, when I put this together uh, and, the, and the tech team put it up, I love that one of our elders' names is Matt King. Isn't that fun? Um, uh, it, just, it just struck me as, as, oh, what a biblical name, Matt King. Looky there. Um, uh, it, but in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus as king. So knowing this about the Gospels, I prayerfully consider, okay, what side of Jesus's ministry do we need to see? Does our church need to, need to see that Jesus is our king to be followed? Does our, our church need to see that, 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 we are, that Jesus is this servant, this humble servant, and he's our example uh, to, to follow? And so, so, so we can do that with Jesus. Is, is, do we need to see that he is our savior that connects with us? Do we need to see that he is God? And what I heard the Holy Spirit say next was this. All of them. We need to see Jesus right now as all of these things. Well, so welcome to Questions, the next five-year series at Fellowship Asheville as we go through all the Gospels. No, we're not going to do that, right? Like, like that's what I, I mean, I could, I could, uh, but... um, I don't want to spend five years on the gospel. I think we would lose, actually, something if we did. And so then what I kind of went before the Lord with is, okay, so how? How do we do all the gospels? How do we see Jesus as all these sides and, and yet not spend five years going through the gospels? And I was listening to this podcast, and Amy referenced it up here. I, I heard this, this, this thought that had never occurred to me before, that, that when you look at all four gospels, Jesus asked 400 questions. To people. 400 questions. Questions were Jesus's primary mode of teaching. And, and, and here's, here's why. What a good question does is it draws a person out, right? The Proverbs say the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. The purposes of a human's heart are deep waters. And a person of understanding draws it out. That's what questions do. It draws a person out. And, and, and what Jesus would do when he would ask a question is he would draw people out. And, and in that, right, he would teach truth. Once the person was, was exposed in their thinking and their belief, he would, he would teach truth, right? And he would correct thinking and he would expose sin, right? And he would point to this kingdom that he kept talking about. And, and he would bring light into dark places all because of a wonderfully asked question. And so we're not going to cover all 400 questions. Again, that'd be another five-year series, wouldn't it? Actually, closer to like nine years. But what I did is I looked at all the red ink in my Bible and looked at the questions that Jesus asked, and I, and I picked 12 of them. So 12 of these key questions that Jesus asked, like the one that we're going to focus on today, is this that Jesus asked. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid is one of the questions that Jesus asked. And so for the next 12 weeks, here's what I want us to do as a church. Whether you're here or whether you're online, what I want, you to, what I want us to do is I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of those disciples, or sandals as they were, of those disciples, right? And I want us to, to do what they did. And I want us to let Jesus ask us these questions. And let these questions do the work that they do, that they expose our thinking, they expose our hearts to God and hopefully to each other, right? 
questions that if we allow them to do the work that they need to do, right? If they do the work that they need to do, we will see Jesus for who he really is. And he will show us how to grow to trust him more. And to, and to walk on this earth like he walked on this earth. In full communion with the Father. And so if you're ready to do that. If you're ready to let Jesus' questions show us Jesus and grow us to be more like him, then open your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one on your way out. We'd love to to give that to you. We're going to be in chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. As you're turning there, uh, because we're focusing in on particular questions, what I want to do is just make sure we understand what's going on around uh, that passage. And so so to kind of do a big picture, we've talked about what the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the way to see Jesus. Do you all remember what it is? We see Jesus as what in the Gospel of Matthew? As king. Yeah, we see Jesus as king. And so that's the big picture. And then when you hone in a little bit, uh, let me tell you what's going on around this passage. Jesus has just had a full day of ministry. And he's in this village called Capernaum, uh, which is by the Sea of Galilee. It's one of Jesus' favorite places to be. Peter is also, that's Peter's hometown, is this village of Capernaum. Right? And, and, and right before our passage, what happens is that this Roman guard comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his child, which he does. Now listen, this was scandalous in Jesus' time. The fact that he would not only talk to a Roman guard, but that he would do a Roman guard a favor, like healing his child, was scandalous. Because what was happening in Jerusalem, in Israel, is that Rome occupied Israel and occupied the area where Jesus was doing ministry. They were in charge. And the Jewish people there didn't like the Romans being in charge because there were taxes and there were rules and there were things that they didn't like, even though Rome was pretty good about letting people worship the way they wanted to be worshipped. But what happened, though, is that, is that as talk of a Savior started coming, what they wanted this Savior to do was to, was to repair Israel, right? And to bring Israel back to its former glory, like, like back to the time of when King David ruled Israel and they were this world power and there was peace that reigned and, 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 and that God was worshipped. And they wanted this coming Savior, this coming Messiah to use a current term. They wanted Jesus to make Israel great again, right? That's what they wanted. And so for him to to minister to this Roman guard was a bit scandalous. And so Jesus has just done that. And then after healing, after healing this Roman guard, he goes to Peter's house. Now Peter's married and his mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then, and then they, they do some ministry there because all these other people came in the house. And then as night is approaching, after this super busy day, as night is approaching, Jesus tells the disciples, tells, and, and disciples is this term that means the 12 that we think of, right? But it also means anybody that's following Jesus was considered a, a, a disciple. And Jesus tells those that are following him to get in boats and they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we pick up. So Jesus has said, everybody, we're going to, we're going to go over there. And so in chapter 8, verse 18, it says this. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him. Right? And it said this, teacher, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And so, so, so here's what's happening. Right, this is, if, if you want to see this in the other Gospels, it's also in Mark and Luke, Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. And, and in Mark, what we see is that Jesus in his boat isn't the only boat doing this. There are other, there are other boats going across the sea with them because others wanted to follow Jesus and participate in his ministry. Now remember, in Matthew, though, Jesus is the king to follow. And so what Matthew's going to do is he's going to say, hey, if you want to get in my boat, if you want to be in this inner group of disciples, if you want to follow me as king, there's these things that, that you need to know, right? Because this guy just came up and said, hey, I mean, all these boats are going, but I want to be in your boat, Jesus. I want to get this time with you, right? Like if you've ever been to, to a conference, if you heard somebody speak, you know what it's like to walk up and be like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Can I go grab lunch with you and pick your brain for a little bit, right? This is what this guy is doing. He wants to be in, in Jesus' boat. And, and, and what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, hey, here's what's required to follow me. Here's what it means to follow this king. Look at verse 20. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have the uh, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Right. And so this guy comes up and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And his response isn't, hey, come on board. Let's go. It's, hey, you need to know something. Right. Foxes have homes. Birds have homes. But I don't have a home. And Jesus tells him that to follow him and to get in the boat means that your life might be on the move. I might ask you to go to a different village than your hometown. I might ask you to go to a different, uh, to put it in our context, a different state, a different country. That when you follow Jesus, you follow me. When you follow Jesus, like, like, like he gets to decide where you go. He gets to decide where you call home, not, not you. And so another guy tries to get in the boat. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? This guy says, Jesus, my father isn't doing well. He's about to die. Let me go take care of him and then I will come and follow you. And so Jesus gives this response and it sounds like he's saying, listen, don't go to your dad's funeral yeah, right? Like, don't take care of your family, follow me. Now, I don't know that Jesus says that to everybody, but he's saying it specifically to this guy. Why? Why? What, what is Jesus getting at? Remember, he is the king to be followed. Why is Jesus saying this? Because here's what this guy's saying. Jesus, I want to follow you, but first. But first. Now, here's the deal. Parents of little kids right? When you ask your child to clean up their room and they say, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. But first, I need to finish this video game. What's your reaction? Right? Sure, honey, go ahead. Finish up that video game. Right? No. Why? Because you realize they don't really want to clean up the room, right? This is where Jesus is. When this guy says, I want to follow you, but first... What he's pulling out from this guy is like, listen, you don't really want to get in this boat, do you? Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a lot of reasons why we don't follow Jesus, right? Like, it's inconvenient. One of the things that we say uh, here as a staff is that we don't value convenience. We don't value inconvenience either. 
But we know and understand that to follow Jesus means that it's not going to be convenient all the time. Right? Like, like coming to church and gathering together is inconvenient. I think all of us would rather be at home, most likely, right? But there's something good and great that happens when we're together. That doesn't happen outside of this place. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to, to sign up for a growth group and go to a growth group. They're, they're never at a really convenient time. You have to give up something to do it, right? A lot of times our faith is unclear. I mean, let's be for real. Like most of us on any given day and any given moment aren't exactly sure what God is asking us to do, right? We have a hunch. We think we know but we have this thing called faith, right? Which means that actually a lot of the steps that we take in faith are just that. In faith, our faith is unclear oftentimes, right? Our faith means that there's going to be change in our life. When we follow Jesus, the things that we used to do, we don't do anymore. And the things that we didn't do before, we do now. And when Jesus enters into our life, there's change. And, and all of these reasons are, are reasons not to follow Jesus. All of these reasons fall under that but first category. But Jesus is saying, hey, man, either get in the boat or don't. It's okay either way. But just know when you get in this boat, right, those excuses dissipate, Right? In other words, there, there's a lot of reasons to not follow Jesus, right? But when you want to follow Jesus, none of those reasons matter anymore. And that's what Jesus is telling this guy. Because you see, before anybody gets in the boat, Jesus wants them to, to make sure they understand what it means to follow him as king. And he wants to make sure that they understand that there is a proper place for their possessions, right? For their home, for their priorities, all those, all those, all those but first. Like, like in all of those, possessions and priorities come under the subjection of this king, come under Jesus. In other words, if you get in Jesus' boat, what you're saying is that he gets to be the captain of the boat, not you. For some people, that's enough to say, yeah, I'm going to hop on one of these other boats, Right? In verse 23, though, people got in. It says, when he got into the boat, uh, his disciples followed him. Those getting in the boat heard this conversation going on, and they understand what's required, that their possessions and that their priorities come under uh, the, the, the lordship and the authority, and, and they come under Captain Jesus in this boat, Right? Now, this sounds good. Now, what, what Jesus is about to do now is verses 18 through 22, I'm, I'm calling the lecture, right? Because he's going to give them some information. And then, and then 23 through 27 is the lab. Now, let me tell you the difference between a lecture and a lab in college was plant ecology. Right? I loved looking at plants and figuring out what plants were what plants and all this stuff. And here's the deal. In the class, in the lecture, we saw pictures of plants. And we saw how the leaves were shaped and we saw the colors of the leaves and we would have a test based on those pictures to see if we could identify them. And when I say identify them, I don't mean just say that's an oak tree, that's a post oak tree, that's a live oak tree. We had to give their genus and species and the whole thing. That was what happened in the lecture. When we went to the lab, we would walk around the campus and we'd go out into forests and we would label trees. And, and when we were in the lecture, the test our final exam tested what we knew, 
based on pictures. When we went to the lab, do you know what the lab did for the final exam? We walked out in the forest. We didn't know this was going to happen, by the way. We walked out into the forest that we had been in before, and there were all these 10 meter by 10 meter roped off squares. And what we had to do for our test for the lab is pick a square and label everything in it out in the forest. Label the trees, label the grass, label the weeds, label everything. That was our lab. You see, the lecture tested what we knew, but the lab tested what we could apply. And what Jesus is going to do in asking this question is he's going he's to tell them what to know, right? That the lecture shows what you, you learn, but the lab is going to show what you believe, right? And these disciples getting in a boat, they just checked the box. Yep, Jesus, I am good. You uh, can take my possessions. You can set my priorities. I am with you. Let's go. They know that. Now Jesus is going to test what they believe. Because remember, Matthew is going to show them that Jesus is a king, right? A king to be followed. And, and what we're going to see is, is, is that just like here, because like here, this is our lecture, right? Your lab happens when you walk out those doors. And here, we get to form what we know. Out there, you get to show what you believe, right? And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to see uh, here this, this lab of Jesus exposes what he teaches us and exposes what we believe of it. And so the disciples are about to enter a lab that's going to expose what they believe. And so look at verse 24 because this happens. It says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, uh, but he was asleep. Now, who, who is the he that was asleep? Jesus, sound asleep, right? We, we, talked about this, uh, we talked about this account in Jesus' life a couple of weeks ago when we were doing a sermon on control and looking at, at the account and the writings and, and capturing this event. We, we talked about how you know, the disciples were there and this storm rose up and one of the Gospels calls it a furious storm and, and waves were crashing in the boat and it's filling up with water. We talked about how the disciples were trying to keep the, 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 the waves from coming in and the water that was there, they were trying to get it out and the whole time Jesus is sound asleep, right? He's had a busy day of ministry. Evening's here, and he's trying to catch a few, a few, um, catch a little sleep, right, on the way over. And so the disciples are, are freaking out because their boat is about to die. Now remember, Matthew wants us to see something about King Jesus. Well, look at verse 25. It says, and, uh, let's see, and they, they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Right? And it makes sense. They're like, hey, let's wake Jesus up. He can save us. The very least he can do is help us get the water out. Right? Like having an extra man here uh, is, is good. That's the least that he can do. And at the most, he can save us, save us. Well, look at verse 26. He says, and he said to them, why are you afraid? Now, I'm going to break this question up because I think both parts of this question are, are very important. Why are you afraid? Right? So, so he's going to ask them this question that points to fear. Where, where is your fear right now? One of the Gospels says that, that he asked the question this way. Why are you so afraid? Where is your fear? Right? Now, I don't know about you, but I read this, and I think it might be in the storm, right? If I've been in a storm like that, like it would be scary. Here's, here's what we have to remember. Some of the guys in this boat were fishermen. 
They had been out on this water before. They had been through storms before. They know storms start and storms stop. And it still could be scary, but they've weathered them before. I think, I think Jesus' question to them is asking something else. I think Jesus is taking them into the lab to test something else. And we're going to see where their belief needs to be exposed and where it needs to be corrected. Because y'all... I think ours is the same way. I think we as a church, and I mean Fellowship Asheville, not just a church and like universal church. I'm talking about us. I think we are a people who allow fear to sit on the throne of our lives. Right? And I think it's time we called it what it is. Just a simple lack of faith. Because look at Jesus' next part of the question. Right? He says, oh, you of little faith. Now, again, this might seem harsh, right? Jesus used this phrase quite often. And, and, and I mean, can you imagine someone sitting down and saying to you, you don't have any faith, right? It could come across harsh. It could also come across as an act of kindness. Because what Jesus is doing is, is, is he's telling them that it's not necessarily the amount of faith that they have. What he's telling them is that it is where their faith is anchored that might be the problem. Right? Like, like they have faith. Like, like they have as much faith as they need. The problem is it is in the wrong place. That's why they've got a little faith where they need it. And the rest of the faith is anchored to something else. And so what he's saying by saying this is like, listen, there's something going on that you don't see in this lab. There's something going on that your belief has put you on the wrong path, right? The amount of their faith isn't the problem. I think it's more the object of their faith. And and the gospel according to Luke actually records the question as this, saying, where is your faith, is how Luke wrote it. Not just, oh, you have little faith. Luke says that Jesus said, where is? is your faith. In other words, where is your fear? Where is your faith? You see, I think they have full faith in Jesus, but I think what he's about to show them is that the full faith they have in Jesus, they have in the, in the, Jesus, in the Jesus kind of they created, right? They have full faith in what they expect Jesus to do, not what he is about to do. They have full faith in who they think Jesus is. And y'all, he is about to blow their minds because he is about to show them something so different than what they expect him to be, something so better than what they expect him to be. He is about to show them who he really is. And this is what I want us to see because look at what Jesus does. And we're familiar with it. If we know the story, he does this. He says, oh, you have little faith. And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there, was, and there was great calm. Right? Now, interestingly, both Mark and Luke, the other gospel accounts of this, they record Jesus' question as being after he calms the storm, not before. Right? And I think, I think that's important. Because maybe their fear wasn't something different. Maybe their fear wasn't in this storm. Maybe Jesus asked them this question because he just stood up from waking up. Y'all, I don't know about y'all, but when I wake up, I don't even know what day it is most of the time, right? Like, I wake up on Sunday mornings, I'm like, okay, is it Monday? Is it Wednesday? What am I doing? Like, like Jesus woke up, stood up, raised his hand, and calmed the storm. 
and they saw this. And if, and if, 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 if Mark and Luke, the Gospels of Mark and Luke had this right, when he calmed the storm, that's when he turned to them and said, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Right? It wasn't the fact that the storm scared them. It was the fact that Jesus calmed it. Because here's why. See, those in the boat with Jesus, those disciples are Jewish. And they know the, 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 what we call the Psalms because that's the songs they sang when they gathered together to worship. That's their songbook. That's their hymnal are the Psalms. And so they knew what the Psalms said about God. And so they knew these Psalms, right? They knew these Psalms that showed that God is a powerful God, that he is the God of the universe, that, that, that he is the God who is our Father. He is Yahweh, this all powerful God. And Psalm 65, 7 says this <clears throat> about God. And so they would have sung this song before, who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves. And so they know that God can calm a storm. And then Psalm 89 says this, that you rule over the surging sea and when its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 107 says this, and this one probably spoke to them quite a bit in that moment because it says this, He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Now, this is a song that they sing about God, and Jesus just stood up and And so for them, there's this moment where they're like, who is this in our boat? Who is this that we just said we gave, we'll give him our possessions, we'll give him our priorities, wherever he leads, we will follow. Who is this? Because see, up until this point, if they thought Jesus was going to just be king over Israel, they realized we've got it all wrong. What we've believed is wrong that if his job is to make Israel great again, we've got it wrong. Now, of course, if they believe that, if they believe that Jesus was going to be just the king of Israel and make Israel great again and kick the Romans out and make life better for them, then of course they would be afraid if they drowned because if they drowned and Jesus drowned, all that hope is drowned. Of course there would be fear there. But if the way Mark and Luke tell it is a, is, is, is a more accurate account, then their fear was because it wasn't placed in the storm, it was placed elsewhere. All of a sudden, they didn't see Jesus as the king that would rule Israel. All of a sudden, they saw that these songs and psalms that they had sung and they knew that were about God are true about Jesus. That Jesus isn't just going to be the king over Israel. He is the king of the universe. Right? That he is the king over everything. That in him, all things hold together. You see, only God can calm the storm. And the boat that these guys got into, they just had this aha moment. They just had this, this lab that Jesus isn't asking us to follow him as king over a nation or king over Israel. He's asking us to follow him as king of the universe. He's asking us to follow him as God. See, in this moment, they realize something that we need to realize, and it's this, is that God is Jesus. That's what they just realized. 
that this God that we worship is right here in our boat with skin on him. And y'all, that is a game changer for him. This is why verse 27 says this, and when and, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What kind of man is he? He's God. That's who Jesus is. And that's why they marvel, because he's God with skin on him. And so how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this question? Well, if we let ourselves be asked the same question that Jesus asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Where is your fear? Where is your faith? I think what we'll discover is that our fear is found when we don't see Jesus for who he really is. Right? When, when, when we have our faith placed in the Jesus we create, that produces fear. And y'all, here's the deal. We all do this. That's why we have the Bible, to show us who Jesus is. Because we've all got this picture of the Messiah we've created. We've all got this picture of the Jesus we want. And the Bible shows us the Jesus who is. Right Now, I know I intentionally used the phrase, make Israel great again, right? Because I intentionally wanted to step on a few nerves, maybe. Right? It's not a political statement. It's not telling you who to vote for or who not to vote for. It's not that. But it is touching on something that I think we in America have a unique problem with and that somehow we have created an American Jesus. Right? And that we have created a Jesus that cares about our nation. And he does, but maybe not the way that we think he does. Right? Because he's not the king of America. He's the king of the universe. Right? And let's be clear. I love America. I have been to almost 20, maybe more countries, worked in those countries, lived in, those, lived in some of those countries for a time. And, 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 and I got to tell you, America and its love of democracy is the best nation on the planet. I truly believe that. But here's what I also believe. Do you know how many promises Jesus made to America? Zero. Not one. I challenge you to find America in the Bible. We're not there. But our call as a people of God is to humble ourselves and pray and to pray for those who are in power, to pray for our president, to pray for our leaders. And we do that. But here's what we know. We know that we're not anchored to America. We are anchored to a whole different kingdom, a whole different kingdom with a whole different leader. And when Jesus is an American savior, here's what happens. We get scared when the wrong person gets elected. We cheer when the right person gets elected and we think finally everything will be okay. But when Jesus is our king, we realize that what nations do, and history will tell you this, is that nations rise and fall. But we have a king who rules them all. And that's who we're anchored to. And so when we believe that God is Jesus, we actually don't fear the outcome of an election. We don't fear the outcome of a nation because we're anchored to a different kingdom, right? When we trust in Jesus, 
We trust him even when the outcome is different than we, than we want, and we trust him that he will carry us through whatever the consequences of that may be. That's what it means to have Jesus as a king. And so for you, where do you fear? Where is your fear? Where is your faith anchored? Because maybe that's the place where you need to see Jesus for who he really is. Do you fear death? Right now, here's the deal. We're in church. We may not fear death, but we might fear the process, right? We might fear dying. Well, Jesus gives us life, even as death approaches. And the stuff that's true for you today will be true for you then. You see, he provided a way for you and I to have this good and right and personal relationship with God that is life-giving. That's what the crucifixion and the resurrection is. And, and that's when we say, let Jesus be your king and say yes to him. And, and if you haven't done that, then do that so you can experience this life. And today we're going to take communion. So if you're at home, grab your elements. You can take communion with us. But if you're, if you're just now saying yes to Jesus, then this, this communion will be your first step of faith. Because it represents you allowing Jesus to be your king. It represents you getting in the boat with Jesus and letting him be your captain. For those of us who have done this, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, guess what? We still have fear in our lives, don't we? And the question to ask is where is that fear? Where is your faith anchored into? And so as we go into communion, here's what I'd love for you to do. As I would love for you to take it. A minute and just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, just like he showed me, what we needed to teach. To show you, where is your faith? What fears do you have right now about life? And how does who Jesus is meet that fear with faith? Because here's the deal. We're about to enter our lab when we leave here. And your faith will be tested. I want you to be anchored into the right king. And so as we go into communion, the way this works here is, is when you're ready, just come on down and grab the little cup. Um, uh, I think they're all gluten-free. There's some that don't say gluten-free, but I think they're still gluten-free, um, just so we don't have to worry about it. Um, go back to your seat, and then we'll take them together once everybody has gotten theirs. And, and so I'm going to pray for us, and, and what I'm going to pray is that you get to see the beauty and the mercy and the justice and goodness and kindness of Jesus right now, and that faith in Him will be greater than your fear. So let's pray. Jesus, we do ask you to do what only you can do and show us. Show us where um, our faith is anchored to the wrong thing. Where we think we have full faith in you, but really it's just a little faith in you and a full faith in something else. And show us where that fear, where that fear is so we can see you as the better answer. Because, Jesus, you are worthy. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. So whenever you're ready, come on up and grab communion. Oh, the Gospel of Mark talks about, um, in telling this account in Jesus' life, that there were other boats going from one side of the sea to the other. Other boats experienced the storm and other boats got to experience the calm. And so knowing, just 
what I can imagine and in, in, in knowing the little bit that I know about, about the way people were, a lot of those boats were probably close together, right? When the storm hit, they could see Jesus and they could see him stand up and, and raise his hand and they could see the storm stop. They may not have been able to hear. They might have been able to hear Jesus taught across water before. But what I know is they got to experience the benefit of the disciples' lab work, right? They got to have the storm calmed. Y'all, we're like that. We're in boats. And Jesus is asking, do you want him to be your captain? Do you want him to be your king? Not the Jesus that we imagine, but the Jesus who is. And when we take communion, what we're saying is yes, yes. I want Jesus to be my king. I want Jesus to be my captain. And so if that is what you're saying, then let's take communion together. His body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for crackers and Kool-Aid. Thank you for blood. And thank you for bread, and thank you for your body that was broken. Um, that that is the anchor of our faith. That your death, burial, and your resurrection are the reason we worship. It's the reason we live. And it's in this, and what this symbolizes, that we place our anchor today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.